What is Demystifying Research? Hosted by me, Kelly Harris. And me, Catherine Hoyt. Demystifying Research is a space where we dialogue on training, careers, and all things research. Everything from is research right for me to thinking about applications, mentorship, which research degree is right for me, handling failure and rejection, CVs versus resumes, and funding. This is a space where we engage in discussions around the questions we all have or have had when considering a career in research and science. As clinician scientists, we seek to answer questions and address issues that aren't clearly addressed in more formal spaces, things that weren't addressed in our clinical training, questions that we may not know how or where to begin to seek answers. This is not a space only for scientists and researchers, but for anyone who may be interested in science and research. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Could you officially give us a, a, just a brief introduction? Who you are, sure. what you do? I think um, <clears throat> both like your administrative capacity in the program, but then also a bit about your research would be great. Sure. Uh, all right. I, yeah. My name is Andy Butler. Um, I wear some different hats. I have some different identities. Uh, so let me let me go through those. Maybe uh, I I'm a cognitive psychologist by training. So I got my PhD in uh, a psychology department uh, doing kind of basic, mostly basic um, experimental cognitive research, kind of laboratory types of studies. Um, but then over time got increasingly interested in how a science of learning could be applied to all kinds of educational contexts and just understanding implementation in context as a way to deepen my my theoretical understanding, right, about how these things work in different places. So I study how people learn, kind of broadly construed. And um, through my career, I, I did a postdoc in a psychology department, um, but then I got my first faculty job in an ed psych department. Um, and now I am in a department of education, but also appointed in our um, department of psychological and brain sciences here. And so I, I can mentor students in either of those programs at WashU, um, and I do. Uh, and then I've kind of had some experience in some different programs, different types of programs, if you will, as I've gone around in my career. I uh, have um, mentored a number of doctoral students in my, my life. I've also done a stint as the director of graduate studies here in our Department of Education. And I think that's a lot of things. All right. Could you um, also just tell us what is a director of graduate studies? Like, what is that person? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the role maybe looks different potentially in different programs. Right. But this is the person in our department who oversees all of our graduate programs um, and in particular um, does a lot of the managing of our doctoral program. And so making sure that as doctoral students work with their advisors and progress through the program that um, they're being supported, um, they're hitting, you know, the, the milestones they need to hit and, and staying on track. Um, and so, uh, and, and, you know, doing things like developing policies around how to support doctoral students, um, solving problems that arise and uh, all kinds of things like that. Sounds like a go-to person whenever you're having trouble. Absolutely. I think that for doctoral students, you know, you, you, it takes a village, right, to support um, people. And so, uh, you know, being a successful doctoral student is about knowing 
um, all those sources of support that you have um, at your at your fingertips, for lack of a better word. Uh, obviously, you have your advisor who who should be a great source of support and be able to do um, a lot to to help you through uh, that process of graduate school. But there are other people like the director of graduate studies, um, other people sometimes outside of your department that uh, can play an important role in helping you get access to resources that you need or um, to, to just hear, you know, be a, be a, be an ear to, to listen to a problem that you have or other things like that. I think that aligns so nicely with some of the other conversations we've had about the importance of that village and, and all of those different people that influence your tr learning trajectory when you're a trainee, particularly in a doctoral program. So with all of those different hats and all of those different people that are involved in your training, could you tell us a little bit in your experience personally or what you've seen with other trainees, what those first few weeks, months, semester might look like for a person entering a program? Yeah, <clears throat> I think it really depends on the type of program that you're in, right? I mean, let's let's remember at the start that there are all kinds of different programs um, that approach graduate education in different kinds of ways. So like one key difference, I think, is uh, whether a program has doctoral students come in and float at first and, and kind of uh, get some different experiences before they kind of match with an advisor who then shepherds them through the rest of that process versus programs that really match right at the beginning, right? And um, our program here in the Department of Education is the latter type where um, in my real, my experience for the most part in, in, in all the programs I've been in has been that kind of matching situation where you're identifying from day one. But that would make a big difference in terms of kind of the direction you're given potentially and the support you're given um, when you first come into a program. But uh, that first semester is getting your bearings, right? You, you may have moved to a new place. And so there's all kinds of things with respect to life to figure out. Um, you've entered a new uh, university or, or higher ed institution, right, that has a, a new culture, that has um, all kinds of rules and regulations and et cetera, et cetera, right? So part of that is just a lot of learning, right? And and trying to understand, um, you know, how to make your way uh, among all these new, new things. Uh, oftentimes, uh, programs are set up such that students are engaged in more coursework at the start of the program. So the SURF semester um, for, I think, your average PhD student probably has a lot of coursework. And that's a one way to kind of dig in and get your bearings that might feel familiar in the sense of, uh, you know, coming from uh, an undergrad institution where you're taking courses, you know how to do that, right, um, and be successful. Um, there may be some differences, of course, but but you kind of understand it. I think the biggest change, right, that, that happens when you move from undergraduate to graduate school and, and in a PhD program is is really changing from being kind of a consumer of knowledge to being a producer of knowledge. And that's a mindset shift, right? Where it may feel very comfortable to take classes and write, I know how to do this exam or write this paper and get a grade, right? Um, but ultimately learning in a PhD program, after you get maybe some breadth, maybe some depth in certain areas that you need through coursework is learning by doing and and um, doing that research, right, that you're being trained in. And so um, I think it's really great for 
doctoral students to get started that first semester in some sort of project. Now, not everybody does, and in some disciplines, right, um, people feel strongly that you really have to do some coursework before you're even ready um, to to enter into that. But uh, I think that there are ways, certainly within kind of um, the psychology perspective, right, to get people in there and started very early. Uh, and so that can be different, right, and leads to different rhythms of life um, and, and work, right, relative to kind of traditionally uh, taking courses. I just feel like my mind was blown with that comment of you're changing from being a consumer of knowledge to being a producer of knowledge. And that feels, I think, like a weight for some people. That's really a lot of responsibility to be producing knowledge. Uh, yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, I think that um, it becomes easier, right? And it I remember starting graduate school and being very scared that I wouldn't um, have any good questions to ask right that i would come in and be expected to to produce mind-blowing questions that then i wanted to answer through my research and i didn't know where to start and do that um what i rapidly learned and what i hope what i try to tell my students who might feel the same way and other students that i talk to is um you start to read and the more you read and understand and learn that the more it is the case that you see all the gaps and all the the places where we don't know anything, right? And and uh, and start to understand how to um, frame questions that would that would help fill those gaps. Um, and so then, you know, the more you read, and I think a, a key to success in graduate school, just generally speaking, is just read, 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 read everything you can get your hands on. Um, not everything, okay. Be judicious and strategic about how you read, right? But but just immerse yourself and. Uh, you start to have the problem that you have too many good questions and you can't answer them all, right? You don't have enough time in the day. So then the problem becomes, right, which one of these is the best question? Which one should I really pursue? Because I can't do all these things. I think, um, so it's a couple of things resonating with me. So I remember being like learning that in, during my PhD program, I remember my advisor saying like, you know, you learned how to answer questions as an undergrad. Now you got to learn how to ask them, right? And ask them well. But I think there's also this piece of like, you know, your PhD is like to start that, right? But you can't do everything all at once. And so thinking about like, you know, that you're entering into a career of asking questions. And so it's about, it's, you know, to your point, picking the best one for now and, knowing that you can come back and pick up some of those other questions later um, that I think for me was something I had to think a lot about. Like, this is not the only project, right? The dissertation is important for sure, but it's like the first, not the yeah. only. And so thinking about it in that way. I think that's a great way to think about it. And I, I always hated closing doors. I didn't want to close any doors. I had so many interests and, oh, I wanted to pursue them all right, but you can't. And so the great thing to remember, just as you were saying, is that there's time, right? There's time to do these things. And even if you have an interest, don't don't necessarily give up on it. Just it, there's going to be a time in the future, potentially, where you can come back around and dig back into that, right? Um, but you got to pay attention to the hurdles in front of you because, right, if you don't make those, then, right, you, you need a degree to, to go on and, and do these other things. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's a lesson that keeps coming around, right? That's a PhD lesson. I feel like it's a junior faculty lesson. It's a senior faculty lesson. (laughs) So yeah, thinking about at every stage, like, okay, what's right for now? And yeah, that's cool. So um, I, I think that was like a great, you know, kind of thinking about like, what are the, all the things that are happening? I'm curious, what are the, the common challenges you see first semester PhD students facing? That's a good question. I, I think one of the biggest ones is um, thinking about how one manages their time and and doing so um, in a way that is, is strategic and kind of maximizes um you know, provides work-life balance, but also kind of maximizes their, um, you know, their progress towards their goals. And relative to to undergrad or working, right, depending on where you're transitioning in from, um, you know, a PhD program can provide a lot of flexibility and a lot of autonomy in terms of how you spend your time. And I think that figuring out how to motivate yourself, figuring out how to be somewhat disciplined, right, and how you spend your time doing things uh, is certainly a challenge there in that first semester and one that potentially, right, carries on if you don't fully solve that, um, or at least begin to solve that, not fully solve it, um, there in that first semester. That ties in nicely to what our next question was, is you know, thinking about that first semester and the strategies that that uh, can that need to exist for a person to be successful. That transition, I think, is so hard going from a more structured life to, oh, wow, now I, I am responsible for all of my own time. Have you noticed across students or learners or programs different skills or qualities that have been that have made people especially successful? Yeah, I mean, I I do think that, um, you know, one of the things I study is uh, self-regulation of learning and how learners, I mean, in all kinds of different contexts, think about um, creating goals for themselves, planning, monitoring their learning, um, uh, you know, seeking help when needed. And then at the end, right, reflecting back on that kind of cyclical process and thinking about what they would change going forward. And as one progresses on in education, you need to get increasingly sophisticated in how you do that, right? And you think about, I mean, if we could fast forward to when people are, um, you know, faculty members, you're doing that at a very high level, right? Where oftentimes nobody can structure that for you. It's like, you've got to be able to do all that stuff for yourself. I mean, maybe with some supports in in certain ways. so I think that that uh, what I've seen in terms of doctoral students being successful is people who come in uh, with that sort of approach, right? They are they are really trying to plan out, right, and 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 do some forward thinking about what it is, you know, what their goals are for that semester, for that year, um, how they uh, try to um, how they try to achieve those goals. And then making a plan for for how to succeed, right? And maybe that's about, I'm going to spend this amount of time each week. For example, one of the things that people talk about with writing and getting writing done, and we could talk at length about writing. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, One approach that people use is that, you know, that I'm going to sit down each day for an hour, 
and maybe that's in the morning if that's your best time or whenever it is. And I'm going to keep that time completely protected so that I'm doing that every day. Right. And that's a thing that you have to plan. Um, and so there are lots of examples like that of, of I think, how people uh, who've come in and kind of had more, um, you know, more experience potentially using some of these aspects of self-regulated learning um, can help to be uh, successful there in that first semester and beyond, right? So I guess a question, I feel like this is, you're the expert kind of on this, thinking about like how much do you have to understand who you are as a learner? So oh. I was thinking about this and I was talking actually to a first semester PhD student just this week and reflecting on my own experience and thinking like, man, I wish I better understood my, how I was as a learner, my first semester of my PhD program. Like now I get it. And so when I jump into something new, I can like, I know what, you know, how long it takes me to kind of get my sea legs and figure it out. But yeah, I'm just curious your thoughts. That's on a that. great, that's a great point. I mean, I do think it's about, and that's the reflection piece to me, right? Um, and the thing that we oftentimes in all kinds of aspects of our lives don't spend enough time doing, right? Thinking about reflecting on ourselves. And, you know, if that's thinking about the goals you've made and whether or not you've accomplished them in the ways you've wanted or the plans you've made or, you know, the the strategies you've engaged in as you kind of try to carry out that plan. Um, we need to know ourselves and and think about ourselves from time to time. Right. Um, and there there are ways to I mean, I think I think that helps us to plan as well. Right. To understand what our weaknesses are. I mean, with writing. Uh, that, that's another piece there where it's like, you know, you got, you have to know the conditions under which you're able to be productive with writing. And, um, you know, sometimes that means trying to address the weaknesses by trying new strategies or, or trying, but sometimes it's like, wow, like here's this great strategy, but it just doesn't work for me. Right. But this other thing works for me and, and, and knowing yourself in that kind of a way, um, if it's not if it's not working at all, that's a problem, right? Then you got to take a maybe a different approach there. Um, but but also, you know, I think in in terms of knowing yourself is is knowing uh, more generally the things that motivate you and are you're passionate about. And one of the things you need to decide a little bit, at least in in the course of graduate school, is kind of like who you want to be in that next step in your career. And my advice to people is, you know, don't try to be somebody you don't want to be, right? And I think that's true at every step. That's true when you're on the tenure track and you're thinking about, right, um, getting tenure and jumping through those hoops. If you have aspects of your work that you really love and that help you get up every day, right, yeah, maybe there's some other stuff that you can put up with, but you better make sure that those things are, you know, fundamentally aligned with the path in which you're going, I think. Um, that'll serve you really well. And there are there are interesting tools. I don't know if you've talked about this before on the podcast, but um, the NIH has this tool called the uh, My Individual Development Plan, my IDP, um, and other kinds of uh, resources that students can use to do that uh, self-reflection piece, right? To think about uh, what are the things I like and don't like, right? And um, what kind of careers, right, exist that would allow me to lean into the stuff that I like and maybe minimize the stuff that I don't like. I love that you mentioned that. We'll actually link that resource and anything else that you think would be um, particularly useful in the episode notes. I think I didn't think about kind of thinking, doing, completing an IDP in that way, 
until I was at the very end of my PhD program. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, is super helpful. I am, I'm also just kind of wondering, so you talked a little bit about, you talked a lot about time management, but also you mentioned work-life balance. And so um, just wondering your thoughts on, you know, kind of practical ways to really think about healthy work-life balance as a student. I, you know, I don't know, I think a lot of students feel like you have to like sacrifice it all right? And that the expectation is that you kind of live and die, you know, live, live breathe and die by the whatever program you're in. And and I'm just curious, yeah, what are your thoughts about? I mean, I don't know. I go, I am, I cannot say, I, I sorry, let me, let me, I don't know where to start with this one. I'm going to start by saying, I think that I have really great work-life balance and I do feel like I have had good work-life balance almost all the way through in my career. There have been some time points where I really needed to like crush it in certain pieces if you know when I was on the tenure track or other things um but I think that when you have good work life balance it allows you to be more efficient and effective in the time that you're spending working right I think that's the thing that we forget that if we just go pedal to the metal all the time oh we can do more but it actually reduces your capacity sometimes, right, to, to do more. Um, you know, if you start to cut back on sleeping, um, if you start to cut back on time with loved ones and with friends, um, you know, I, I, everyone's a different individual, right? So again, know thyself. But I think that that's the stuff that helps you really get keep going in, in the work that you do. Um it is also helpful, I think, in how you view your work-life balance if you really love your work. And then it feels, I mean, I, people, a, a thing that has been happening in our university of late is that people are wanting to quantify people's time and say, okay, you've got this much time working and you have to take vacation for this much time and other kinds of things. I, I read stuff while I'm on vacation because I like reading stuff. Um and and so I don't mind there, there are certain aspects of work I would not want to bleed into my outside life, but there are many other aspects that I do just because it's part and parcel of my identity and who I am. So if you can find those kinds of synergies, I think it really helps with your work-life balance. But but having other things that you're doing outside of your work is absolutely critical. So one one of the things that I try to do as a doctoral student is get outside my department. Um, I loved my department, loved everybody in my department. I was very active in my department, um, but I wanted to do some student government kinds of things. So I got involved in various student government organizations and in getting to know people outside and having other things that I was doing um, in addition to like extracurriculars that I did of various sorts, right? It helped to give you different sources of self-esteem, right? So if things aren't going great in the research study you're, you're, you're running, like chances are things are going great in something else that you're doing, right? And that helps you be a little bit more balanced. Um, and I felt that that was always really important to my success as I went through graduate school. I really like that thinking. I hadn't thought about the work-life balance in that way before that that sometimes some of the things we're doing, it actually is joyful for me. And so it's not, I don't feel that it's taking away from my out of work time if I'm doing something that I truly enjoy, um, but maybe limiting the things that don't bring me as much joy uh, so that I, so 
so that I have space and capacity for that. I really like thinking about it like that, you know, like reading an article on vacation is maybe because I actually like enjoy that. Yeah, like Marie Kondo, your time management, right? Look at look at the things you're doing, and if they did not bring you joy, then well, you can't you can't you can't get rid of all of them. But otherwise, yeah. But I I think you also brought up another point, like the whole get outside of your department. And yeah, I think one of the things we we think so much about the science piece of the work, but the job is far more than the science. I mean, there's things that I'm having to learn to do that I'm like, oh. I didn't, I didn't think about having to manage this aspect of my research lab or whatever as, you know, because it, it's not part of like, it's not central to the, the research question, but it is, it's like, you know. Um, also, it's like the whole person here. too. And so I think you're like also comment of like getting involved in student government and other things that can bring you a sense of self-efficacy or, um, utilizing skills that aren't necessarily stretched in your science, uh, but that you enjoy expanding and developing those skills too. We'll eventually help your science too. (laughs) It helps you think about all kinds of different paths for yourself too, in terms of your career, right? I mean, I, I talked to a number of students here at Washington University in different departments who really have had their blinders on until their fifth year of doctorals education right and then they're like well actually oh gosh i don't i don't want to go on in academia but then what else can i do right and i think getting outside and and exposing yourself to some some different things right can really help your thinking in terms of and i don't think that it necessarily detracts from you pursuing a goal per se of of also putting your blinders on and and being highly productive and then pursuing a, a faculty position if that's what you want to do, right? I think it it actually, when you look at the people who are successful in making the jump from, um, you know, graduate education or postdoc into a faculty position, it's people who have a broad perspective. I mean, they're deep and they are, are experts, right? But they also understand the big picture. And it's really hard to get that big picture if you just stay immersed in your very like um, micro microcosm, your little bubble. Yeah, building flexibility. I love that. Pers- like that perspective too, um, being a whole person. And exploration. I mean, we are all in the business of being creative. And there's no way to be creative without exploring. And that exploring... I mean, I do too much exploring, but I think about it as something that I have to do in order to maintain my ability to be creative. And there, when you do that, it, it's going to be the case that like some of those things are not really helpful to you, right? Um, you're going to hit some dead ends. Some you're going to spend some time that that you could consider wasted, if you will, right? But um, in the bigger picture, you're going to also gain so much. Uh, and and that's going to be a, a key potentially to your success. I have a two-part question now. The first part, do you have any specific advice or things that you would like to tell people that are entering into a PhD program that could help them lay a strong foundation as they're getting started on their research path? And I'll go to the second one after. Okay. Uh, I, th- I mean, I think the first one I mentioned earlier is just to, you know, immerse yourself in um, the literature of the area in which you want to study, right? And I, I don't think you you stop there, but that is a key part, right? And, and I would say, don't just read the stuff from the last five years, 
read older stuff that bears on the kinds of things that you're interested in. Because uh, one problem that we have in science is that we reinvent the wheel a lot of times. Um, and I th so I think reading is a big one. I think uh, connecting with other people is a big one, right? So again, with the, it takes a village, right? You're going to need support from all kinds of folks who are, um, you know, maybe faculty in your department or staff or other kinds of folks and uh, get to know them cultivate those relationships just like any other um business if you will and it is a you know universities are businesses science is a business in one respect uh relationships make the world go round and approaching that in a genuine way where you want to know people right know them by name and story and i think that will serve you well right because it is a small world and things come back around uh, those would be my two big tips. I feel like those are great tips. And I'm wondering if those tips translate or if you have any shifted ideas. This is so selfish. I'm an early career scientific pursuing faculty member. Any tips or strategies for those people that have made it past the PhD and are now at their early, early career scientist stage? That's a good question. I mean, I think it depends on where you are in the, right, if you're starting your faculty position versus if you're midway through. I mean, there, the 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 advice that I had earlier about don't try to be somebody who you don't want to be, right, is a big one. Because if you are are doing a good job with your research, you're pursuing questions you're interested in, you're um, producing new knowledge that has an impact either on, you know, the, the scholarly thinking and theory or practical impact, right? That's great. And, and you're going to be successful in one place or another. And if the university or the program or the department that you're working in, you know, doesn't see fit to, to tenure you for the things that you want to be doing, right? And, and do pay attention to the hoops and other things and if, right? But I think that some people try to be somebody they don't want to be in order to get tenure. And then the expectations, you're going to keep being that person. That's not a recipe for success, right? And I think that in the broader field of, of um, academia, there are lots of right places for people to be, right? And ultimately, it's about you finding a fit with the kinds of things you want to do, the ways in which you want to be productive, be that about teaching, be that about research, be it about um, different aspects of service, the right constellation of things, right, that you want to do with the fit with where those things are valued. Um, now, ideally, that's before you take a job. But I think that there's some ways, right, if you're on the tenure track, and you're making yourself a valuable person in one way or another, people are going to want to keep you around, right? So thank you. That was really helpful. I enjoyed hearing that. I think I needed it. I think it's like useful thinking, I mean, for students to think about that on the front end, like that, you know, thinking about who you want to be and being true to that is so, is so crucial. So um, what are, what have we not asked you that we should have asked you? You've asked me a lot of things. Um, I think, so, so um one thing, one one other thing that I'd like to mention that I think is really important uh, for doctoral students starting their doctoral career 
is getting on the same page with their advisor. If it is a, a matching thing at the start, or or maybe this is in your third semester where you really um, lock down that relationship with an advisor, getting on the same page with that advisor about expectations and making sure that you are very explicit, right? And there are all kinds of different ways to approach this, right? But about the things that you as a doctoral student are going to expect of your advisor and that your advisor expects of you, right? And having a, uh, and, and that should be a continual conversation, right? Because those expectations are going to change over time. Um, but establishing that really great line of communication there around that piece, because that's, I think, to me, the, the thing that helps you avoid um, the times where there are misalignment in terms of expectations. And that's where a lot of the, the challenge and um, the drama come from. Right. Um, I I love that for two reasons. I guess I'm thinking, you know, one of the things I don't know that I realized as a PhD student is like, that's the first of that type of relationship that I'll continue to have throughout my career, thinking about like the mentor relationships, right. And learning how to navigate that at, during this kind of important PhD time, but then also that kind of learn those lessons and keep doing it. And I feel like we, um, like I said, we were talking about mentorship not long ago. And it's that same idea of understanding expectations. And so I, I love that. I think that's great. Um, it has been great to to chat about this this afternoon. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for joining us today. Check out our other episodes to hear more. You can find the first season on YouTube under Washington University Program and Occupational Therapies channel under the First Fridays for OT Research playlist. And more episodes of Demystifying Research linked under the Research tab on the Washington University OT webpage at ot.wustl.edu. That's ot.wustl.edu. Send us your ideas for future episodes at demystifyingresearch at wustl.edu.